What up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the Man Cave Podcast, brought to you by High V and Toys and Ford. Dan Casper here with you, a loaded episode of the Man Cave Podcast. We're going to talk some Badgers with RJ Cardinal. We're going to talk some Packers with Joe DeGuano. And that's where we lead off this episode of the podcast, Talking to Packers. We officially begin self-scouting, our version of self-scouting. If we were like consultants and Matt LaFleur reached out to us or Brian Gutekinds or Mark Murphy or whoever the hell at 1265 Lombardi Avenue reached out to us and said, give us your feedback. Give us give us a little consulting on the past season, on our coaching staff, on our players. What are your thoughts on that? So we kick it off talking about the coaching staff. Obviously, the, the big question mark is going to be the defensive side and, and, and Joe Barry, right? We, we know that. Uh, offensively, I've got... I, I think what we've before we get to the defensive side offensively, I think, in my opinion at least, we saw a lot of growth from this group. Talked a lot about it yesterday. Position coaches wise, Jason Vrabel I thought did a fantastic job. Uh, the wide receivers coach, tight ends coach, Butkus offensive line, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Matt Lafleur even as a play caller, fantastic job. Which Matt Lafleur also yesterday did say it's not completely out of the realm that he would give up play calling if he thought it was better for the team. And, you know, he did say it's a very collaborative group, very collaborative effort. Um, I'd still be surprised if that happened. I think it would have to be something. I, I don't know. I just I The way the season ended, and I don't even know if I'd want LaFleur at this point to, to give up play calling because I thought he was in such a zone. I want to see that continue uh, to grow there. But offensively, offensive coaches – you get passing grades, in my opinion. At the beginning of the year, it was a struggle. There was a lot of, I think, you know, trying to figure stuff out, trying to put people in a position to succeed, to best positively affect games, and they finally, I think, figured everything out. And I want to see this group. We talk about the young receivers and the tight ends and uh, growing with Jordan Love and 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 you know, building something there. I also think that's related to, to some of these coaches and, and the play caller, too. So we talk about the growing of this quarterback and, and his receivers and, and pass catchers growing together, but we don't really necessarily kind of like factor in the play caller and the coaches in this, too. So I think as a collective group with these coaches, with these offensive coaches, I want all those guys back. I think they were on to something. I want to see this continue to grow from the offensive side of things. And I thought Matt LaFleur got better as the season progressed. We've talked about how many times it's been written about how many times it's been out there. You know, when they finally said, okay, let's let it rip, they took it up to the next level. They they figured it out. And I want to see them continue to grow and build upon that. Special teams is such an interesting one here. And obviously I'm holding defense to, to the end here. You've got the highest paid Special teams coordinator in the league. He's your assistant head coach. It was clearly evident LeFleur utilized Rich Bisacci, I think, more during the game. Not just special teams, but a lot of times you saw Bisaccia next to, to LeFleur and they were kind of, you know, probably talking with each other and, and, you know, just trying to figure out something kind of a, you know, as we said, LeFleur said it's a very collaborative group. 
got to imagine he was kind of getting some input, insight from Passaccia and such. You look at special teams numbers, they weren't great. Obviously, a lot of people are going to talk about Anders Carlson. They're going to focus on that. But you look at penalties and you look at overall rankings, they weren't good. Now, is that because they were incredibly young? Were they plugged in a lot of inexperience on there? Possibly. That's probably part of it. Was it coaching? Probably. Possibly. Probably a mixture of everything over there. I mean, honestly, the the one positive and a lot of positives in here, but uh, the one positive for from special teams is probably Keyshawn Nixon again, another All Pro year there in a game now that you know teams the NFL sure seems like they're trying to eliminate kickoffs and and kick returns and such. So I mean, you you know you got an All Pro kick returner there that you know didn't have multiple kick returns for for touchdowns. But that's probably your your one thumbs up area is is Keyshawn Nixon at I don't think Rich Pasacci is gone unless another team hires him away. I think this was also a year where they had a lot of younger guys in there. And maybe kind of hey, this is what you you're given. This is what the front office gave him. This is what you got. Okay. Gotta work with it. You gotta mold it. Got to try to figure something out there. It wasn't wasn't a great year by any means. But I don't see the Packers firing Bisaccia or anything like that. But they do got to get better in that department. Whether it's you know a year where it was just a lot of inexperience on there, they're going to get better with more experience and such. Whether they got to get more veterans in there. You know, Rudy Ford was initially brought in a couple years ago. Special teams guy. Was a veteran guy. A lot of experience there. He missed a ton of time this year, injury, and then, you know, he's a starting safety, so maybe not logging as many snaps on the special teams. You take some talent out of there. Down love it. Cut. You know, they were missing some of their veterans from a year or two ago, year ago, where they brought in to kind of help that group. Well, it went a little bit of a younger route this year. So let's just get to the meat of it now. Defense. What do you do? The big question mark. I believe, not everybody, because we've heard from from some who say, no, they don't want to see Barry move on. They don't think he deserves to to move on or, or get fired, I should say. But I believe the majority, PR-wise, would like to maybe see Green Bay move on from Joe Barry and uh, – if it's announced that he's returning, i got to imagine the comments on Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and Instagram, social media, whatever the heck it may be, uh majority will probably not be in favor of that move. Will probably not be in favor of that move. But would it be the right move? What is the right move in this situation? I think with... I think with looking at the last couple of years, when we look at last year, not this past season, the year before, where the defense started off slow, got better down the stretch, all offseason leading into this season, you heard, you know, we got to start off faster, got to start off faster. And, you know, when you look at 
the, the beginning of the year, if we go back to our conversations, there was, there was a lot of talks like, hey, defense wasn't the problem. Defense wasn't the problem. It, was all, it almost felt like a little bit of the opposite. Like the defense played well enough in some of the games to keep the offense in it. It was just that was the time when the offense was really struggling, couldn't find their footing, couldn't get it going. It wasn't very good complimentary football. And then it was like, okay, once the offense started to kind of figure it out or started to maybe turn the page a little bit, then the defense took a step back. You know, a lot of the, the coaches and, and people look at that Pittsburgh game, even though it was a loss. You heard Adam Stenovich, you've heard other players talk about it. It's like, okay, that was kind of a moment where they started to see me, you know, offensively, maybe things started to click. But what also happened in that game? It was when Matt Canada outcoached Joe Barry. It's like, oh, dang. That, you know, got a little better against Detroit, Kansas City. And then it was the Giants, Tampa Bay, and Carolina. Those three games. Those three games there. Essentially, I think for a lot of people, sealed the fate that buries out. And then Minnesota, defense bounces back. Chicago, do a good job. Dallas, yep. Heck, even the 49ers. This is what probably pains. I saw this yesterday. And either I, I kind of forgot about it, missed it, or just wanted to, to refuse to, to believe it. The 49ers offense in that game, if the, if you really want to kind of get a little bit more painful here, the 49ers offense in that game didn't take a single snap inside the red zone until that final drive. And this is from J.R. Radcliffe, too, Milwaukee Journal Center, who we've had on. He said, heck, they didn't even have a snap inside the 30 before that final drive. They kept the 49ers out of the red zone, outside the 30, up until that final drive. Now, like, well, how did they score? You know, a couple touchdowns there. Big plays, George Gittle, McCaffrey, big run, and, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, I don't, you know, I, I, I think this is a tough, I, for me personally, if I'm trying to channel Matthew LaFleur, I think he's he's this is a tough decision for him because there's been moments where this defense has played better. They've had moments. But my issue with this whole thing has just been the consistency part of it. It's been the consistency. Why can we do it one week or a couple weeks and then not the next? And I know maybe some people are thinking, why can a defense play up to the competition but maybe play down? To the competition. It's, this defense is so, it's probably been one of the most confusing things throughout this this whole season. Throughout this entire season. It's like, we've seen some really good moments. He They do really well against, you know, some, some top-tier quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes or whatever, but then Tommy Cutlets, Tommy DeVito goes in there and wins. NFC player of the week and then follows it up with Baker Mayfield having a perfect quarterback rating and he's NFC player of the week. So it's like if you can slow down Patrick Mahomes and these quarterbacks, why can't you do it with that? The consistency part of to, for me is what's kind of mind-boggling a little bit. 
And for me personally, I talked a little bit about it the other day. The NFL is so circular. Like, last few years, it's been the Shanahan style of offense that has been giving defenses fits all over the board. Been giving them fits. Now, you're kind of seeing, hey, the Ravens. Maybe they figured that out because you look at some of their games where they've gone up against the 49ers. Uh, Houston the other day in the postseason. Bobby Sloak is a sh- runs a Shanahan-style offense. Ravens have been doing a fantastic job of slowing that stuff down. Do teams maybe now want a little bit of piece of what McDonald, defensive coordinator for, for the Ravens, is doing? What is What has he done or what has he seen that could kind of slow down those styles of offenses a little bit. If it were me, I think it's best for both parties to move on. I think it's best for Green Bay to move on from Barry. And as much as Joe Barry probably wants to be a defensive coordinator and such, I just I can't get over you know what he said a few weeks ago in a presser saying it's been really tough on me and my family, you know, when they were going through that stretch. You, you kind of throw that out there and you kind of, you know, and I'm sure it was, but I think now that you kind of go out there and, and say that publicly, I just, I don't know. At, I, to me, I think it's probably best for both sides to be like, you know what, maybe it is best for both of us to, to kind of move on at that point. It could be a good decision for, for both sides. Maybe a little bit down for Barry because he's probably not going to get a defensive coordinator position again. But I ultimately think it's probably best for for both to to move on. Just my opinion. So if that's the case, where 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 do you go? Let's throw some names out there. That's not going to happen. Bill Belichick is not going to take a defensive coordinator job this year. Is that a dream scenario? It is one hundred percent a dream scenario. Bill Belichick is not interested in going down to a defensive coordinator. He's, he wants to break down Shula's record for, for wins. And I'm sure there's probably a little bit of a motivating factor for him, too, to prove that he can win without Tom Brady. Belichick is not going to be a defensive coordinator. So we can we can cross that name off the list. That ain't going to happen. And honestly, if you are a uh, head coach, I don't know if you'd want Bill Belichick as your assistant because – you're probably looking over your shoulder every single time, and it just might be kind of a weird, tense organization, coaches' meetings, all that sort of stuff. Be like, it's like uh, Richard Pitino coaching, and he's got his dad, Rick, behind the the bench over there. Bill ain't going to be that. We can we can we can erase that name over off over there. Um, Vrabel would be an interesting one. Because Matt LaFleur was his offensive coordinator for for a year. They know each other. They know how each other operate. I wouldn't completely ignore it, but I don't know if Rabel also would be a guy that would just take a a defensive coordinator job at this point. Maybe. I guess never say maybe. But I also feel like, okay, you bring in a guy like Rabel, that might be just a one-year type of deal. Because he's going to be in head coaching conversations until he gets his next one, whether it's this year or maybe next year. So 
do you want a head coach or do you want a defensive coordinator to come in for a one-year spot or would you like to say hey i want to build something here looking for somebody maybe for a couple years at least now all could change i mean if you go out there and you get a young hot shot defensive coordinator they come in and do a fantastic job right away yeah they're going to get head coaching interviews it's going it's just going to happen that's how the nfl works so while the fleur and rabel know each other very well I don't know if he would take a defensive coordinator job right now. Could be wrong, but I don't know. I'm looking at some of the the assistants out there. Um, mentioned Weaver yesterday for, from the Ravens. I think that would be an intriguing one. He's getting head coaching interviews though. But if he wants to maybe add, you know, he used he, he was defensive coordinator for a, for a hot minute there in Houston. But if he wants to maybe, you know, get back to calling some defensive plays, could that be an option? I'd be good with that one. Anthony Weaver with Baltimore. Chris Harris, former Bears defense back, with the, or was with the Titans. He's getting he had or he's getting another one or he's getting an interview uh for, for the Bears for their defensive coordinator position. He interviewed for the Packers during that round where they hired Joe Barry, was one of the finalists too. Could that be an option there? First-time defensive coordinator. He's well-respected across the league. I've seen some people talk about Johnny Holland from the 49ers. The only thing I would say about Johnny Holland, and I don't know if this would be a factor, but the only thing I would say is he is got some health stuff. He's been battling cancer. There was a, uh, there was couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, there was even a, a thing about it, I think on one of the pregame shows. But he is battling cancer. Would that be something where, you know, he wants to move, take on another role, take on another job with, with his health stuff? Maybe, possibly. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm just saying out there that that could be a factor in his own personal decision out there, too. Because we've mentioned, I, I know I've mentioned Holland a couple years ago. With, with that, you got your veteran, for you know, Ejiro Evero. Could that be a could that be an option out there? He's getting head coaching interviews. He's getting second round head coaching interviews over there. Young coach, well respected across the league. There's a Wink Martindale. He's got a big personality, but he's getting some talk about uh, maybe potentially going over to Philly. That guy just seems like he would fit perfectly. In, in Philly over there. But maybe, I mean, does it matter to you personally? Do you want a guy who's maybe a veteran defensive corner, a guy who's gotten a lot of coordinating experience, bring him in, or do you want a first-timer, maybe a younger guy coming in, maybe relates to the players a little bit more? Run with that route. We've seen examples of each side working before, haven't we? We've seen it. I personally feel like I'm not as confident as I was after Tampa or, you know, in, in December. I'm not as confident when I said I think, you know, Barry's done. He, he ain't coming back next year. It's not happening. I'm not as confident as I was when I first said that, but I still ultimately feel like that decision will be made to to mutually part ways. They'll move on. 
and Matt LaFleur will be looking for another defensive coordinator, his third defensive coordinator. You know, remember, because when he first got hired, he was given Mike Pett. Made the move after an NFC Championship game to bring in Joe Barry. Jim Leonard, I think that train has moved on. I think that ship has sailed. I mean, you're not even hearing his name right now. I mean, it could change with some of the new staffs coming in. But his name, you, you don't even hear it anymore. And I don't know if it's because he's just wanting to stick in the college world. Maybe it's kind of one of those underground sort of things. I guess never say never, but, you know, he had a shot to do it and turned it down. Didn't want to do it. Would he revisit that? Does he regret it? Maybe. Possibly. But I I think that ship has sailed at this point in time. But I do ultimately feel like Green Bay is going to make a move for a new defense coordinator. And I hope the one thing is, and I get it, you know, there's, you see it all across the coaching world. Do you hire guys that you know or have a connection with because then you have a good working relationship? You know, you have the, the positives and negatives of that then. Or do you bring in a guy who you have no relationship with, you don't even know anything about, you bring him in, Yet, you know, that's a risk, too, because you've got – that's what Brian Dable did with Wink Martindale, and apparently they butted heads, and that's why they're they're no longer working together, that sort of stuff. There's different ways to it. There's positives and negatives, good examples, bad examples, all across the board. I just want the floor when he opens up that process, if he opens up that process, which I think he will, do your research, look all across the league, not just – Dudes that maybe you've got a connection with, got a little bit of a relationship with, I get it. It would make, you know, inside the building, the transition, a little bit easier communication, maybe a little bit easier. But this is perhaps Matt LaFleur's biggest decision, biggest hire, biggest move that he'll be making in his young career up until this point. Got to get the defensive coordinator pick right. The offense is trending upward. They're going to continue to grow. They're going to continue to get better. Defensively, they've got veterans. They've got some nice veterans over there. They got some nice pieces over there. This is a group that still needs to lead the way, and you got to build upon that. There's been so much invested in that group. And have we gotten the max out of that? I mean, I'll even go into, you know, you look at Rashawn Gary. He kind of got quiet down the stretch. Was that Rashawn Gary? Was that scheme? Was it teams really preparing and focusing on 52? Yeah, part of it is. But that's also part of, you know, Packers trying to figure out, okay, ways to still get him involved in games because you know what? Teams prepare for T.J. Watt, and he still gets after it. Teams prepare for Bosa, and he still gets after it. Ultimately, I do think a move will be made. I think you're going to see some movements across the the defensive coaching staff. You're going to see some new names. I do think there will be a new defensive coordinator. And I just think it's it's one of those moves right now. While the defense did play better, and by all accounts, players like Joe Barry, they got a good relationship with him. I just think it's beneficial for both sides to mutually 
part ways. And this will be a very, very, very big decision for Matt LaFleur to get this one right. Let's take a quick break. We'll talk some more Packers with Joey D after these quick words. It's that time of year where we may be stuck indoors for a bit, so you need to make sure your pantries, fridge, and freezers are fully stocked. How do you do that while also saving some money? Easy. Just shop at Hy-Vee in Eau Claire. Whether it's stocking the pantry with soups or dried goods, or loading up the deep freezer with pizzas and frozen foods, Hy-Vee has the best selection to help keep you stocked during the winter months. And with their Hy-Vee perks, you'll save money at the register and the gas pump. Stock up on your favorite grocery items and save money with Hy-Vee in Eau Claire. Let's uh, chat a little bit uh, with, with Joe DeGuano. So, Joe, I'll ask you the question. Not necessarily do you want him back or not, but do you think he will be brought back? You know, it's interesting because you look at LeFleur's presser, and, and, I, and I listened to you yesterday, Captain, and, and, you know, you said if you're looking for any kind of a concrete, here's what we're going to do with Joe Barry, you weren't going to get it, and, and that was obviously the truth. But what you try to read between the lines, and you try to compare it to previous years and, and end-of-season pressers with Lafleur, And, you know, Lafleur left the door open. He, he at least left the door open. Uh, unlike other seasons, when he unequivocally said, no, nope, you know, I don't see any reason why he should go, et cetera, et cetera. So he left the door open, and, and he is going to make that decision. Now, uh, <laughs> I would say it's a 25% chance that Joe Barry gets fired. And I think this is a defining moment in Matt LaFleur's career. And you and I have talked about this now ad nauseum, that, that this is one of those things you say to yourself, as a head coach, do you have the global perspective to look at, at your team? And, and I get it. Joe Barry, he seems to be liked from, from a lot of the players. He's a guy that, 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 according to most, is a likable, high-energy type of guy. And so I think more than likely he comes back. And like I said, I think there's about a 25% chance he gets fired. But, you know, this is going to really be, <laughs> again, this will probably define Matt LaFleur once again. And, and we've talked about the growth. And I know yesterday you talked a lot about the growth of Matt LaFleur, and you and I, and a lot of other people very hard on him during the rough stretches this year, and I think rightfully so. But I think Matt Lafleur grew as a coach, as a as a during the week coach, as a in game coach. Now it's does he have that 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 global perspective to do what's right from a coaching standpoint? The people working for him. So you know, time will tell. We will see. But but if it were me. If I was Matt LaFleur, I would cut ties. And I would say, Joe, I just think, you know, it's better for you, it's better for us that we need a fresh start. And and too many inconsistencies. There's just way too many inconsistencies from that defense this year. You thought, all right, they have a great game, and then, and then the next game, you know, they seem to have the wrong scheme. And you look at the, at, at the game against the 49ers. And, and look, I thought for the most part, the Packer defense played well. And, and if the Packer defense makes a couple of plays, catches the interceptions, those types of things, I think Green Bay moves on. But the defining drive, and you go back to the Giant game with DeVito, the, 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 the defining drive, Green Bay can't shut it down. 
Conversely, the finding drive for the 49er defense, you know, and again, mm-hmm. Jordan Love should not have thrown that, but they get credit for the stop. And, and so, again, if it were me, I would make the move. I just don't think odds are Matt LaFleur doesn't. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat with you. I, I, if it were me, I make the move. I, I agree with you. I think you know you, you mentioned the consistency thing. That's been my biggest thing, and it just feels like if it were me again, like it's beneficial for both sides. Especially you know a few weeks ago when when Barry goes out in a presser and acknowledges how hard it's been for him and his family. You know, listening to all the 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 negative talk and and uh, questioning about his job, and it's like okay, you know, I get that, but it was that necessarily the the appropriate time to, to maybe say that in, in the in the media. And I just feel like it's one of those situations where it might be better for, for both both to move on. But I agree with you. I I don't know if LeFleur's actually gonna do it, man. I don't know if he's gonna do it. But if he doesn't yeah, I, if, if he doesn't, does he bring in another veteran defensive coach to almost have a backup in case it doesn't work this year? You know that you'd like to say yes, but what message does that deliver? Right. Because everyone knows, including Joe Barry that huh, this is this is plan B. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so so at that point you're like uh now am I really basically saying that uh all right, I really don't have faith in you, but I like you, so I'm going to keep you on, but I'm going to give myself a backup plan. It, it's almost like, you know, it's almost like dating uh, this girl and you're about to break up with her, but you don't want to break up with her until you've got that 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 plan B already teed up. And so it just it, it, it's an interesting situation. Again, for all the accolades I think Matt LaFleur deserves, I think this is the one area where can he make the tough call when it comes to people that work for him. And, and he talked about it. He talked about it in the presser. The bullseye, you know, the Packers are no longer going to be the, the hunting. They are going to be the hunted. All right? They are going to have a bullseye on their back next year. Uh, they are probably going to be a hot pick in the offseason uh, for Super Bowl favorite coming out of the NFC. And, and so they are going to have the bullseye on their back. And why put yourself through this if you have question marks at your D.C.? So it, it, it's going to be interesting. And I think that's the biggest decision that this Packer team, Matt LaFleur specifically, have to go through. Because, you know, the other thing I was looking at, and, and every year you talk about, well, what free agents does Green Bay have to keep? And, and that list isn't that big. That list isn't that, wow, we've got to do everything we can to keep this guy. You've got, you've got John Runyon Jr., you've got Keyshawn Nixon, you've got A.J. Dillon, you've got Rudy Ford, you've got Darnell Savage, but none of those guys jump off the list as, wow, that's, gonna, that's a tough one. I really want him on this roster. And so I think – the roster, and again, a lot of draft choices, a lot of draft ammunition, I think that's going to play out. Uh, and, and I think Green Bay's going to be fine with that type of situation. But I think really this coaching decision is the biggest off-season question for this Green Bay Packer team. You know, you, you bring up some bad memories personally and when you talk about being the backup option. I've been there. I've been the backup <laughs> man. Nobody, nobody puts baby in the corner, though. You know what I mean? So... <laughs> Nobody puts baby in the corner. Uh, well, hey, hey, when, when you're off the air today, go get yourself another glass of Victory Scotch, and, yeah. and, and, and you could forget about all those all those bad memories I just brought up. Yeah, right. No kidding, man. So, uh, <laughs> Positive memories, though. Looking back at this season, we had a little reflection Monday yesterday. I can't remember, Joe, another year where outside of a Super Bowl championship – 
there's been so many Packers fans optimistic. Like, you know, the last two years, it's either been anger. Like, NFC Championship game, I can't believe Jimmy Garoppolo only threw 10 times and we lost that dang game. How did we lose Kevin King in the NFC Championship game? We lost the Lions in a playing game. A lot of times it's been anger. I can't remember another time outside of a Super Bowl win where at the end of the season there's been so much optimism and an excitement from from a Packers fan base when the season's over with. And I get it, and I understand it, but I was actually pleasantly surprised to, to, to see all that yesterday too. Yeah, I think once the emotion of the, of the game – Saturday night uh, subsided and, and played out. I think people started looking at this season for what it was. And I thought it was interesting, Captain, that you bring this up because Bill Huber, who has basically <laughs> covered the Packers for the last 16 years, and, and he talked about this, that usually there's disappointment. And, and, and because the expectation uh, with Aaron Rodgers truly was <laughs> that it was Super Bowl or bust. Mm-hmm. And, and he said even the locker room had a different vibe to it. It was, it was outside of the Super Bowl winning season, 2010-2011. Huber said that, that, that this was the most positive locker room at the end of the season. And so I don't think it's just the fans. I think, I think Green Bay realized, I think inside 1265, they realized, wow, we're catching lightning in a bottle. And it doesn't happen a lot. And you go back and, and you look back at that 2010-2011 season and you say, well, Green Bay is going to just run a string of Super Bowls now. And, 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 and it didn't happen. But this Green Bay team, I think everyone, I think including that locker room, I think including that locker room didn't think this was the year. All right? So, so it's really interesting because I think fans, I think the talking heads, I think the coaching staff, I think the players realize – hey, there's something cool happening here. And, and we've got a great locker room, and, and we've got a lot of talent on this team, and, and the arrow is pointing up. And I think in years past, I, I think it was, wow, you know, we don't know how much longer that, that, that we're going to have Aaron Rodgers. We don't know, you know, this, and, and it's an aging roster, and it's this, and it's this, and so many question marks. So I think I think the fans are feeling it. I think the coaching staff is feeling it. But I think Bill, Bill Huber's article really spoke to that, that inside the locker room they're feeling this. So, yeah, there's a lot of reason to be optimistic. Now, again, I, I want to go back to what I said earlier. The bullseye is going to be on their back. Mm-hmm. The expectations need to be higher. The bar needs to be higher for everyone, for everyone inside that building. And I think fans have every right to have high expectations. I think Jordan Love arguably – uh, a, a, a and I think most people would agree a top ten, maybe top five quarterback now in the NFL could be the best quarterback in the NFC, and so the expectations for him are going to go through the roof. But yeah, no, I'm with you. A lot of positive vibes, a lot of good stuff. Disappointment, no question, because I think Green Bay had caught lightning in a bottle, and I think when it was twenty one fourteen, and I had friends of mine texting me, and I did not respond. They were saying. You know, it's going to happen. We are going to beat the 49ers. And I'm like, eh, hold up. I've lived yeah. through the Seattle NFC Championship game. So, so, yeah, a lot of good vibes, a lot of positive momentum. The key, though, is that they've got to come back and, and, and they've got to put the work in. And this is the other test now of a young team. It's one thing to play the underdog role, especially when you're young, and have a chip on your shoulder. It's another thing to be 
we're we gotta we gotta bring our best because this is the Green Bay Packers and they're a favorite to come out of the NFC. So it's gonna be interesting. And again, another test for Matt LaFleur. How does he handle this locker room in the offseason and moving forward to get ready for a new season? One of those uh, decisions in the offseason, I want to ask you, do you bring back Darnell Savage? You know, <laughs> Darnell Savage is the microcosm of the Joe Barry defense. <laughs> Great because comparison, Savage, yes. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Darnell Savage in the Dallas game, he was the highest rated uh, defensive player for the Green Bay Packers, according to PFF. All right? right? And, and then – and then you look at what he does in the 49er game, and, and you're just like, wow, where did the guy from last week go? Now, I will say this, that I think part of the problem with Darnell Savage is the scheme and the system. I think Darnell Savage, when he plays closer to the line of scrimmage, I think he, he's a much better player. I, I, I think he lets his instincts go. When he has... You know, playing that deep center field or, or even a cover two or whatever you've got him in, and he's got time to think, I think that's when it, it clicks off for him. And, and what you don't want to have happen, because we've seen it before, where, where Green Bay drafts defensive backs, the scheme doesn't fit them, they're allowed to walk in free agency, and then they go on to have better careers. Micah Hyde, who's a free agent this offseason, Casey Hayward, they come to mind. And so what you don't want to have happen, because Darnell Savage coming out of Maryland, uh, you know, there was a lot of hype about him. There was, you know, there, there was talk that he could be the next Nick Collins, the, the athletic safety that once the light turns on, man, he could be a, 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 a you know, a jack-of-all-trades back there, a Swiss Army knife, so to speak. So, you know, you, it, it's going to be interesting what they do with Darnell Savage. I, my gut tells me, he walks because I think he gets a big offer, and I think Green Bay can rebuild that secondary with with possibly going after another free agent out there and then rebuilding through the draft because of the draft capital they have. So, so I would say that he walks. But again, if a new defensive coordinator comes in and says, "You know what? That's my guy. That's the guy I build this defense around," maybe then things are different. Uh, a couple more here I want to get your thoughts on. Staying with the defense, does Carrington Valentine, is uh, does he open up next season, in your opinion, as a starting corner, or do you think it'll still be Eric Stokes and Jair? I I, I would probably start with, with Valentine. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think, you know, and, and it was interesting, both Watson and Stokes are, are going to see a specialist at the University of Wisconsin-Madison on the hamstring uh, problem. They're, they're both scheduled to make that trip. And so I just think when you've got those soft tissue types of things and you're an athlete and you, and you look at the build of Eric Stokes and, and Kristen Watson, you know, same type of build, you know, long and lean and muscular and highly athletic, you know, if these hamstring problems are going to continue to be a problem for Stokes, you just can't count on them. And, and, and so I think the way that Valentine played this year and then that attitude that he brings back there, I think, I think if Stokes is healthy, you know, he's definitely in the mix. But I, I just think how can you remove one of your better guys? And again, you never know training camp. Training camp battles are a good thing. Competition is a good thing. I always, I always say that if you've got a guy who's locked in their position, that's not a good place to be. So you want to see this competition, but I would I would definitely say that right now, my starters are Alexander and Valentine. 
Uh, now we're getting close to draft talk. You're seeing a little bit more mock drafts come out here, Joseph. And if you're looking at some of them, you've got people pegging a, a tackle uh, to, to the Packers high in the draft first round. My question to you, though, is did Walker do enough this year to earn that starting spot for the future where the Packers maybe don't need to draft a tackle in the first round? I, I, I would say so. Based on especially this late run, everyone talks about you know Jordan Love and, and, and the play of this offense the back half of the season, the last four games of the regular season, or excuse me, three games of the regular season, and, and, and then you know the first couple of games of the playoffs. I would say so. I think he has definitely earned the right to be that, that, that starting tackle. And I think Green Bay has, has shown that you can find good tackles. Chad Clifton in the second round, David Bakhtiari in the fourth round. So I don't think you need to use your draft capital in the first round on a tackle. I think, and again, that was a big part of the game on Saturday night. <laughs> this is an underrated part of the game because when Zach Tom went out, uh, you know, the Green Bay offense was not as productive. I think I think with Zach Tom and Rasheed Walker, I think you have your bookends. Now, you need that swing guy because I, I don't think Yash Nyman is it. I think someone's going to throw some money at Nyman to be a starting tackle in the NFL. And so I don't think he's the guy. So I think in the second or third round, when you've got capital, I mean, Green Bay has two second-round picks and two third-round picks. I think that's when they probably make that – Make, make that swing for the fences with let's find our next tackle and see if he can be that dude. I think Green Bay looks probably elsewhere in the first round. If it were me right now, I would address the safety position. Mm-hmm. And, and we talked Darnell Savage. Well, <laughs> you know, you've also got Rudy Ford, who who is a, a free agent. And, and you don't know what you're going to do with Keyshawn Nixon, who played the slot role this year a lot. So I think you have to address the secondary, specifically the safety position, with that, I, I believe it's Captain. Correct me if I'm wrong. 25th pick in the first round is what they're slotted for. Correct. Correct. Yep. So I, th- I think, I think if it were me, and depending on what happens with Preston Smith, um, and and obviously Enigbari, you don't know his timetable now coming back from that injury. So you could go edge rusher for the second straight year. But but if it were me right now today, I would look at who's the best safety on the board. I would make the move there. I would look at the tackle position in the second or third round. All right, Joe, before I let you go, just kind of since uh, it was a reflection uh, day yesterday, when you look back at this season, what is maybe the main thing or maybe a couple things that, that you will remember the most or really stand out to you from from uh, from this season? The chemistry that you saw between Jordan Love and this young wide receiver and tight end crew. And, and just you, you, you could see it before your very eyes. You could see the growth, and and, and knowing where guys were going to be, and, and and you know throwing in rhythm, and and you you could just see it. It was so evident, starting the year to where the end of the year finished up for this team. Just that chemistry, and I think I think that's the cool thing, when, and that's the Brian Gutekind's vision. If if I were to sit down with a beer with Gutekind, he'd say, I think. I want to see this offense grow together. You know, I want to see the, these young studs, these young wide receivers and tight ends and this quarterback grow together. And I think you really saw that. And, and it was so evident when the light, when, when the switch went on, and I go back to the Pittsburgh game, and, and I think that's when the switch went on for this offense. I think that's when guys said, I get it now. I get the offense. I get the nuances of this. And when you can put together 
that chemistry and the mental part of the game, knowing where guys are going to be and trusting them, and you match that with physical ability, that's when magic happens. And I think, I think that's when the Packers' offense caught lightning in a bottle, and you could just see it. It was like a switch went on in that Pittsburgh game. And Lafleur even has talked about that game as being the, the game when he said, yes, the process is working. Believe in the process, and I think good things will happen. And I think that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, man, we're going to have a fun offseason, though. I'm excited for, for this offseason. You know, real quick, Captain. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Real quick, I just want to share this with you. My son, my youngest son, Charlie, who's 19 years old, why does this loss against the 49ers hurt more? And I said, you know why I think? Because Packer fans were tired of the drama uh, over the last several years, and also this was a really fun team to watch. So Mm -hmm. I'm with you as far as this offseason. I think there's a lot to look forward to, a lot of positive, and a lot to build on, and a lot – a lot of reasons for Packer fans to be optimistic. So I'm totally with you. I think it's going to be a great offseason. Mm-hmm. I agree. Like I, I'm sure you saw it too. And I, I wish I would have saved it. But it was a couple weeks ago, one of the analytics things out there, you know, ranked like who's got the most offseason capital or whatever. Green Bay was number three on that list too, and a lot of it was because of their draft picks uh, on there. Yep. So to add that into the equation, man, I, I can't wait to, to get rolling with this. Well, it, it won't be long, man. You know, you know, probably for me. As soon as the Super Bowl is done, when I start really diving in and get ready for the combine, so yep. you and I, you and I know, man, it's 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 coming around the corner. But uh, yeah, it, 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 reasons to be optimistic, be disappointed, mm-hmm. but there is no way that you can count this loss Saturday night similar to the losses and the heartbreak of previous seasons because we felt that might be the last go around. Here, it's just the beginning and not the end. I completely agree. Completely agree. All right, dude. Appreciate the time as always, man. And uh, let's do it again next week, same time. Okay, bud? All right, brother. Take care, man. Let's take a quick break and let's talk some Badgers with RJ Cardinal after these quick words. Winter is here in the Chippewa Valley, which means it's even more important to make sure you have a good vehicle to hit the winter roads of Wisconsin. Need that vehicle for this winter season? Look no further than Toyson Ford in Chippewa Falls. Whether it's a car, truck, or SUV from their new or used inventory, Toyson Ford has the vehicle you're looking for. Making sure you have a good, proper working vehicle is incredibly important this winter season, and Toyson Ford knows that. Just give them a visit today at 1000 Chippewa Crossing Boulevard and visit ToysonFord.com. Badgers taking on the Gophers heading to the barn uh, tonight. Uh, 13th ranked Badger men's basketball team. Uh, dropping a couple spots in the latest polls here. Let's bring in our Badger analyst, Mr. R.J. Cardinal. R.J., have you ever have you ever been in the barn uh, to, to watch a game? No, I've been I've been past it. Uh, mm-hmm. That and Mir UT Arena. So two kind of iconic places within college sports i've never been to yeah uh but uh yeah it, it uh it's got that completely different feel with the kind of field house look uh and then that raised court so right exactly yeah, I, it'd be i think it'd be one to to eventually make my way to to take in a game there but uh, okay. i haven't had the, the opportunity yet gotcha so uh, Badgers coming into this, the, the, the spread right now, it's, it's only three and a half. Do you think that's a little low for, for, for the Badgers visiting, uh, Minnesota tonight? Well, I mean, the Gophers are playing well this year. Um, you know, both offensively and defensively, these, uh, two teams, I mean, 
are at least offensive, uh, like production-wise, uh, scores and things like that are pretty pretty close to to one another. Um, it's it's a game where uh, it it can end up being like yeah, like a ten point game, or I think it could be a close game, and I think that spread. Uh, probably more along the lines of what is, is there because of what we saw on the trip to Penn State um, rather than playing at home where they have been able to kind of be more of the aggressor and uh, like outside of uh, Tennessee uh, pretty much dominate teams. So uh, I think that one's more of a, a road three and a half, uh, they opened at four and a half. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, uh, it's gone down. So people are like in, uh, Minnesota apparently. Yeah, <laughs> apparently. I mean, this college basketball season so far, RJ has kind of been, and maybe in the last couple of weeks with all the upsets and, and just kind of craziness there, UConn, number one, Purdue, uh, North Carolina jumped up to, to number three. They ended up defeating Wake Forest last night, even though they were down at the half there. But how right. would you describe the, the the college basketball season for thus far? I mean, you got Kansas who dropped down four spots. Auburn moved up five spots. It, it's kind of been all over the place so far. I like parity across the the board. So when when you have multiple teams who you can't look at it and say the de- the definitive number one, let's just end it here and we'll. We'll take it and call it a call it a year. Um, it, I like that. Um, like when you can have a year where, you know, Purdue loses to a thirteen or higher seed in the first round for three straight years. Uh, when you can have like that kind of stuff. And sure, I'm picking on Purdue because they're in the Big Ten, and that's the first thing that popped into my mind. But like Virginia losing to a sixteen seed and and things like that. Um, it's, it's, I like that better than when you could have an entire class of five, five stars. And I mean, people still do that, but mm-hmm. it, it's nice when the, the wealth is spread around and where people thought, um, the schools would get richer as NIL has, uh, sunk in here. It seems it's actually creating parody because, one team can't pay all these, or one school's collective can't pay all these kids to to come and play for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week when we talked to you, we were ta- looking ahead to that uh, Penn State game, and, well, we know what happened uh, after that uh, Penn State game. When you see that game, and it was an 87-83 to, to 83 loss by the Badgers, and I know Greg Gar talked about uh, defense, but w- when you look at that game, do you think that was a typical trap game for how well the Badgers have been playing up until that point? Well, I mean, they were still shooting like forty-eight percent from the field. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I it, it was. I think, yeah, defensively, I think it was. Uh, they weren't playing up to the standards that Wisconsin has. Um, Penn State across the board was shooting ten percent higher from the field, ten percent higher from a three-point range. Uh, sometimes you run into a buzzsaw and it gets you. Um, like, I don't know if that's all Wisconsin's kind of poor defense on the night that led to that, but 
I mean, they were down 12 to two in the first seven minutes of the game. So, uh, they did that to themselves. Um, and I mean, you clawed yourself all the way back to be within four at half. And then, um, it was an even game in the second half. So, um, yeah, it was just a slow start really hurt them. And, uh, yeah, their defense really didn't seem to be able to get a stop when it needed one. Mm-hmm. Uh, another freshman, Big Ten freshman of the week for, for John Blackwell, RJ. And I know, you know, the last couple of weeks he's been in, in double figure scoring, Indiana 12, Penn State 14. You know, before that was a little quiet there, too. But just how, how pivotal has he been, in your opinion? As, as a freshman coming off the bench, how pivotal has he been to Wisconsin's success so far this season? I mean, we, we talked about depth being a little more than it was uh, in years past now. So, um, And in three of the last five games, he's been in double digits in points. Um, and you, you, right around 20 minutes averaging there. So he's averaging playing a half. Um, and yeah, it's it's good to have that kind of development coming from a freshman. Uh, and I think we probably kind of got the gist of it when um, Tom Izzo was like, I'm not sure how we let him get out of the state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it, it was a big recruiting battle for Wisconsin, who not a lot of, and I shouldn't say re- recruiting win, not a battle, because not a lot of people were looking at him. Um, and that's one of those we've, We've talked about in the past, both for football and basketball. Uh, they get on kids early. They those somehow they seem to hit on the kids that they get on early that nobody seems to think anything of, and then the kid ends up being all right and gets more looks as their high school career goes on. But it it was too late because you came in too late on on the whole thing. Um, yeah, having the kind of depth. Uh, at the at the guard position there, where you can bring him in and have spells for for Chucky and for Klesmet, and uh, you know uh, uh, he's even pushing Connor Asijan there for playing time. And for the people who are like he needs more minutes for Asijan, uh, you can blame John Blackwell for that. Um, you can blame Kamari McGee's defense for that. Uh, so it's it's one of those, yeah, having him as an option off the bench is is awesome, uh, and it's a it's a great development. Whereas you know years past we really didn't think we'd see uh, freshmen kind of being this kind of contributor. But in this day and age, uh, you have to start expecting freshmen to be uh, this kind of player. And if you're not, your program isn't where it needs to be to be competitive. The only other player I, I, I could think of, RJ, when you're talking about, you know, freshmen coming off the bench and being a contributor, and you could tell me if I'm completely wrong, was like Sam Decker, you know, back in uh, 2012 when I was looking up his numbers. I mean, that year he averaged 9.6 points per game, and John Blackwell this year so far, 9.1 points per game. Yeah. Sure. So, yeah, it's it's one there, too. Um, that's, that's the kind of kid you want. Uh, I mean... And I mean, I think all of us are more familiar with Sam Decker because he's in the state and, you know, we saw him just making everything in the state championship game. Uh, And so you're just like, wow, pretty glad this kid's going to 
Wisconsin, and then you had all the detractors who were like, well, he's going to Sheboygan Lutheran, so what kind of competition is he actually playing? But, I mean, it's it's a kid who, yeah, um, I'm not sure where else he would have gone because uh, he had got the offer and, like, committed real quickly there, if I remember correctly. Um, but, yeah, that's that's one of those. Those are the kind of kids I think hopefully can start seeing that this Wisconsin team can put up points when it has the right players in it, but you're still going to have the the teams in this state even who allow their kids not to to feel the the way they need to to think they can go to Wisconsin and be successful on the next level. But, um, um, you know, there's teams out there who are among the national powerhouses and there's a lot of guys who are currently staying for their COVID year or their extra year or whatever they got because they're not going to be going pro either, at least in the United States. And, I mean, it it happens all over the place, and it kind of sucks that uh, the big thing that people recruit against Wisconsin is their style of play that uh, is easy to say when you don't coach it and you don't see a year like this year where – Wisconsin's averaging over 70 points a game and and uh, one of the higher rates of uh, points per possession, at least, uh, I think, uh, if it's still up there. But uh, they were doing well in that category to start the year, too. And judging by, you know, scores they're still putting up, I can't say that's not a good thing. In the Penn State loss, they were averaging 1.2 points per possession. So, I mean, if you're doing that and you're losing uh, – at least your offense is is kicking it into gear here. Right. Uh, moving over to to some hockey. Let's start with the men's side. They had off this past week, but you're looking at uh, their upcoming schedule here, RJ. They got Michigan. Uh, they're going to Michigan this coming weekend. Wisconsin earlier this season uh, defeated Michigan, swept them both games, and then after that, you got Minnesota in in Madison. Notre Dame's also on there. Ohio State. So for number three, I think in the latest, uh, was it the, the latest rankings? Wisconsin's number three on there, but uh, yep, uh, had the week off and moved up. So yeah, that's always good. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. So, uh, but kind of a tough stretch uh, for, for Wisconsin as they get close to to wrapping up their regular season. It looks like. Yeah, um, you know, and uh, you have Michigan coming in. Uh, I watched their Saturday night game, but I. Um, um, can't remember if they uh, they split with Michigan State last weekend, um, um, so it was uh, it. You're, yeah, you're you have a team that has some firepower coming in again because um, you just have to be able to outscore this Michigan team, um, which Wisconsin was able to do earlier in the year, uh, winning five four and then two one. So they played two totally different style of games there, but. Um, yeah, it's it's a game uh, series that I mean, fully capable of being able to to sweep Michigan uh, if you got your head on right, and hopefully a, a week of uh, resting the legs will help out there. Um, but yeah, so traveling to Ann Arbor this weekend, uh, Minnesota coming in next weekend, uh, Notre Dame after that, Ohio State. I mean, it's it's going to be you're running the gamut here back through your conference. Um, and I mean, really, the only team you're you're looking to get revenge on is uh, getting swept by Michigan State, and that one's coming up at the uh, at the 
end of well uh first weekend of march so i mean we're we have series going here um all the way now um so no no more rest for the wicked i guess but uh um, most of these you got three road series and and two home series and that uh, final series uh, uh versus michigan states at home so uh yeah a lot of points to be had here for the badgers if they want to uh to push to get the number one seed in the the Big Ten tournament and uh, have a home series for the first time in a long time in in uh, the uh, the playoffs uh, for the conference uh, mm-hmm. crown. So uh, yeah, it's I mean all of them are important. Uh, I mean heck, you swept everybody but Michigan State. If I'm trying to remember correctly here, um, so yeah, it's uh, you just got to pile up wins here and. Uh, on the road probably would be a little tougher but uh you've hung with michigan uh and their speed before and you've slowed them down so it's it's definitely one we can go on the road hope hope for a split expect a um a sweep um minnesota the same kind of way i mean earlier in the year um you dominate them five two and then uh came back the next night and won three to two so um it's it's series that are very winnable uh we just have to hope uh, that everything works out and uh you can keep the legs and hopefully injuries uh stay away and stay out of that penalty box mm-hmm. absolutely and then uh the men's side uh or excuse me the women's side uh we were just talking about uh, the men's the women's side number two team in the country going up against uh minnesota state and i know in the latest ones minnesota state was Outside the rankings, but they did receive some votes, and it uh, it is in man uh, or excuse me, Minnesota Duluth. They just beat Minnesota State. I'm getting my days mixed up over here. So they got uh, Minnesota mm-hmm. Duluth uh, coming up here for for the number one or number two Wisconsin team, and that's going to be a tough one too because Minnesota Duluth uh, RJ is uh, number seven, uh, I believe, in the latest rankings over here too. So that'll be a tough matchup for for this Badger women's team. Yeah, and you you split with them. Uh in madison in early december so uh yeah it uh you know we were talking about uh coming back after the break after splitting with uh minnesota um early in december as well and then you come back and you've kind of you've been dominant again uh in your three series back now here so hopefully uh, a little more confidence there and you can uh Head to Duluth and uh, play well enough to. It's, it's once again, WCHA is probably one of the better uh, conferences for women's hockey. Um, hope for a split, but you know, go in there expecting a a, um, a sweep. And uh, yeah, and St. Cloud uh, coming back after that. So I mean, you're you're. Uh, it's another one. It's just you're in the thick of it, going down to. Uh, to uh, hopefully get some more points and put yourself in a, a good position for the WCHA tournament. Before I let you go, RJ, anything uh, new on the the football side, transfer portal, or anything like that? Any big names or any names of interest that kind of popped up uh, for for you in the last week or so? Um, I didn't recall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we've seen some 2025s uh, start committing, so there's that, um, and uh, I guess we'll. Uh, We'll go through from there to see. I've, uh, I mean, with the yeah, with transfer portal and all that kind of stuff, still kind of open for next season. It's it's a little uh, odd to say. You know, I haven't done really too much research on the 
the three kids I've seen commit now for 2025. So um, the other big one is we're still looking for a DB's coach uh, and uh, hopefully, you know, somebody who can recruit as well as Colin Hischler could uh, as he left for Alabama last week. Right, exactly. All right, he's RJ Cardinal, Badger analyst, Zone and Madison dude. Appreciate the time as always, man. That's going to do it for this episode of the Man Cave Podcast, brought to you by our good friends from Hy-Vee and Toyson Ford. As always, don't forget, be a friend, tell a friend to follow and subscribe to the Man Cave Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a five-star rating and a positive review so others can find the podcast. Until next time, I will talk to you on the next episode of the Man Cave Podcast.